This is the Save the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back, everybody, to the Say the Damn Score podcast. You just heard from the big voice guy say that I am Logan Anderson. That hasn't changed since the very first episode of the podcast. And right now, we are joined by Brian Haney. He is the brand new voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, formerly of Texas Tech men's basketball and baseball. And Brian, how are you doing today? Logan, I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me on. It's great to be with you. And right now, I understand it. You're in the car recording this. Where are you headed? We we want to know landmarks along the way. <laughs> well, I just left Memorial Stadium, leaving a David Beatty football practice on historic Don Fambro Way, and that's on the opposite side of the campus of Naismith Drive and Allen Fieldhouse. So, for those of you that are basketball minded, I'm a couple of miles away from there right now. I'm heading to pick up my dog, who's named after best baseball player of my generation, Ken Griffey Jr. So I'm going to scoop up Griffey in a second. I'm thrilled to be talking to you in the meantime. So what has been the biggest surprise for you? We're going to get into more stuff later, but what has been the biggest surprise for you coming back to Lawrence? You have a history there, and now being back as the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks basketball team, the football team, and hosting a show there. Biggest surprise. That's a great question. You know, I say this with the full amount of respect in the world at Texas Tech because that was a great place for four years, and I loved it there. But I think the biggest surprise from the day I was hired back in in late June up to now is just the overwhelming reach of this particular position and and the fan base. And obviously, all these Big 12 schools have, have a global reach. All these schools have fanatics from, you know, Lubbock to Singapore and Lawrence of Moscow, but I've heard from so many fans, and, and maybe it's just the rabid fan base of basketball and, and people that knew me from before, but seeing firsthand and experiencing through the outpouring of, of messages, emails, whatever, of, of folks in the wake of this hire makes me just kind of blown away by how many folks really cared about this position and, and who was going to sit in this chair and try and replace a legend at Bob Davis who worked alongside another legend in Max Falkenstein who did it for 60 years. And maybe that has something to do with it. But you know, it was different when I took the job at Texas Tech because obviously nobody knew me down there. And I wasn't uh, a Lone Star State-born kid, so it, it wasn't a similar type of reception. But I think hearing from literally all parts of the globe and just the overwhelming amount of people I've heard from, I think it's opened my eyes in a surprising way to just how many people care dearly about uh, you know who sat in that chair and who called these games. That's interesting that you said that maybe the reception in Lubbock right away because you weren't local, because you weren't part of that culture, wasn't especially warm right away. What was it like going there initially? Well... I don't mean to correct the, the phrasing there. It might be semantics, but it was certainly a warm reception from the people. It was, I guess what I'm saying in, in the first question is the sheer numbers, the volume of folks that, that checked in or reached out, people I'd never heard of or met before but really cared. 
blew me away in a surprising way. I would say this about Texas Tech and West Texas, because I love my time there. And Kirby Hocutt's one of the greatest men I've ever worked for. And Rick Leach at the, the Learfield property there, one of my all-time favorite bosses. The people of West Texas are salt of the earth, genuine, down-to-earth, fantastic folks, and they embraced me as their own. It just wasn't that, that overwhelming uh, amount of, of people reaching out to answer your question about the biggest surprise. But uh, you know what? For a, a school that has hired a couple of play-by-play guys now from the state of Kansas, uh, including the greatest announcer ever down there at Texas Tech, is they really knew how to embrace someone that was not one of their own and, and get me you know, completely acclimated to, to joining the Texas Tech culture with my guns up and Reckham and all those great terms that they taught me in, in my first few days on the job. And we did a whole lot of winning and a lot of fun with Redbader Baseball and Tim Tadlock and Texas Tech Basketball and Tuppy Smith. It, it was a great four years down there. And I have the people of West Texas to thank for making me feel at home, even though I was 10 hours away from home. I want to keep on this topic. I wasn't planning on it, but it is a podcast, and it's my podcast, so I do what I want. I'm in a little bit of a similar position to what you're talking about. I just took a new job. It's not a different state, but it's a different part of the state, and it's a very different culture from where I just was, and I'm trying to get assimilated with a community and trying to learn everything there is to know about a local high school and a small college team. What worked for you as far as just sticking your nose in and getting involved and getting people on your side? Great question. You know, my first month on the job, I tried to go to lunch every day with some mover or shaker within the athletic department, or maybe it's a former coach that just knows the sports culture and climate of, of that particular sports market, and, and not just endear myself to them and the sake of winning them over, but soak up everything I could in terms of knowledge about the traditions and the fan base and, and everything that I would need to know to navigate the lay of the land down there in Lubbock, Texas, and uh, it, was, it was a practice that served me well because they could see that I was hungry and, and I was going to work my tail off and I may not be from there and didn't come down saying y'all and darling like I do now <laughs> with some of those endearing West Texas terms I picked up in four years, but, uh, but they could tell that I wanted to be there. I wasn't just coming there because it was the next best job, but that I genuinely wanted to make a home, buy a house, and and, and live a life as long as, as the good Lord uh, chose to keep me there. And so I think that won them over in the end, but it was all about getting in front of them. Then, you know, through the broadcast and, and just being present, being around, being infested, uh, them seeing firsthand everything that we were pouring into it in terms of sweat equity and, and, and absolutely working my tail off. And I think through that, through the first six months or so, I gradually won over everybody that I needed to. I think this, you know, for any broadcaster taking over for a previous guy, whether he was there for five years or 55 years, there's always going to be a fraction of the fan base that simply doesn't like you because you're not what they're used to. You might call the game as technically sound as the previous guy. Heck, it might be even better. But you know what? Your voice is different, and you have different expressions, and we are very much a culture uh, in sports that we like what we're used to. And so I, I think the way you win those folks over is just by busting your tail, working as hard as you can, showing how much you care, how much you want to be there. And if you're genuine and it's heartfelt and sincere, I think eventually that shines through in the broadcast and also through your interactions. And fortunately for me, I think at least in the eyes of most, I won them over in that regard within my first year. And after that, it was, it was pretty smooth sailing for the rest of my time. So now that you were down in Texas and picked up 
some of the y'alls and a little bit of the accent, as you mentioned. Do you have to get rid of it? Has that been a conscious thing that you've tried to do now that you're back up in the Midwest where they don't necessarily talk like that, or is it just going to be what you are? Yeah, I don't mean to imply that there's a twang down there, but there are certain phrases that, uh, like y'all, that I never would have said growing up as a Kansas kid in Sunflower State. That one I've kept. The thing that's been the hardest thing, and I know Tubby Smith would agree with me on this, is he's now at Memphis. Whenever you take a picture as a member of the Texas Tech athletic family, you always put your guns up. And so you're, you're posing for a photo, whether it's with a fan or a friend or whatever, you put your guns up. And if you work for any school in Texas, whether you're making the little frog gesture as a TCU guy with your hand, or you're putting your horns up for hook them like a Texas longhorn would, or you sick them like a bear would, all these Texas schools, they do something with their hands. So, Logan, now I'm up here in Kansas for the last six weeks, and you know, we're, we're posing for pictures at, at these fan appreciation events and all kinds of stuff, and I don't know what to do with my hand. <laughs> we don't have a signal like the Texas schools do. So, you know, the, the y'all and, and the darling and all that eventually will fade away. Well, my biggest problem right now is, do I put my hands in my pockets when I take a picture, or do what do I do? Because I'm so accustomed to the traditions of uh, down in Lubbock. That's interesting. Now to get to the normal stuff that I talk about with just about everybody, as we got, that's a world, that's a podcast re- record for us getting sidetracked. It was the second question, <laughs> so I think it's good stuff. Though, what was your first break into the industry? You are from Topeka. You went to KU, which is known as being a very good broadcasting school. What was your first break into ind- the industry? What was your first job, and what connection did you have to get that position? Well, Logan, I've been supremely blessed along the way. I can point to Hall of Fame broadcasters that aren't just Hall of Fame within my neck of the woods, but, but across the entire landscape. You know, my, my very first opportunity was, was doing games on the public access TV station from my high school. And my, my high school TV productions teacher, Corey Wilson, was my initial mentor that saw the ambition that I had, the dream that I had to take this and run with it as a career someday. And he tailor-made the program to do play-by-play for the first time ever at Topeka West High School. But uh, Mike Mann, the KMAJ, our Topeka affiliate, started throwing me on high school broadcasts when I was 17. And that gave me a chance to be a little bit on the fast track when I first showed up as a bright-eyed freshman at KU in the fall of 98. But probably the, the biggest blessing in terms of big breaks was the fact that I was attending a school that had a sportscasting class taught by the guy that literally wrote the book on sportscasting, Tom Hedrick, who is called Super Bowls and Cotton Bowls. He's been a major league announcer, voice of the Jayhawks, Huskers, Cincinnati Reds, Kansas City Chiefs, and, and authored the book, The Art of Sportscasting, which coincidentally came out the fall of my freshman year. And so to get to study under him, a guy that had accomplished so much, a guy who was a mentor to Kevin Harlan, who I consider to be the best in our industry at everything, that was huge. And, and he had a chance uh, you know, to, to cultivate a lot of young Kansas talent, and, and I was just uh, another in a long line of, of great Tom Hedrick pupils that took advantage of everything that he had to teach. And so you know, my Friday nights and Saturday afternoons were spent with Tom, whether we were doing a high school game in the Sunflower League or a Baker Wildcats football game in the NAIA. I always tell people I, I didn't live the normal college kid lifestyle, get to go out to frat parties on a Friday or go to the football Saturdays. I was, I was following Tom around somewhere, crawling up in a press box, barely big enough to fit the two of us, but I was soaking up everything I could get from him. And consequently, had a chance to, to take on some 
pretty special broadcast assignments at a pretty early age. And so, again, just so many guys helped me along the way. And, and obviously Max Falkenstein, a former KU announcer, was a great encouragement to me in those early years. And even here in, in the final hours of my Texas Tech stint before I got the KU job, which is the ultimate dream job for me, the aforementioned Kevin Harlan played a huge role in that. And, and you know, some would say it was sheer coincidence that Texas Tech – uh, got shipped out to the Raleigh Regional in the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament. Uh, I happened to think that there was, uh, you know, higher power that put me and Kevin sitting two feet away from each other for those 48 hours that I was in Raleigh because he was there to lend an ear, to lend advice, and ultimately offer not only encouragement but endorsement to help me get this job. And when you got Kevin Harlan in your corner, man, I, I don't know, uh, you know, what's a better backer in terms of a play-by-play there. So I felt just tremendously blessed to have had that, that chance encounter or maybe not chance encounter out there. My point in, in going off topic with that when you asked about my first break is you can see that while ambition and hard work and assertiveness creates breaks for you, any broadcaster will tell you, unless his head is as big as the state of Texas, that you, you get help to get where you're at. And as you can see from my timeline at 36 years of age and 20 years of doing this, I've had some pretty amazing guys offer me a, a hand up or a hand out and a leg up to, to get me going. And I'm forever grateful for that because there's no way I'd be even close to having a chance to call games my alma mater were it not for all those names I just mentioned. So what was your break? What was your first job? Was it the women's basketball job at KU or was there one before that? Well, I mean, really, my, my first job was doing high school stuff on KMAJ in Topeka at the age of 17. But in terms of my first job, uh, you know, after school, school, I was fortunate while I was in school to be doing not only the radio on air, but radio sales. And the flagship station for the Jayhawk Network, KLWN, caught wind of this 21-year-old broadcaster who also knew how to sell a radio spot or two. And they offered me a full-time job while I was still a senior at KU to do half sports, half sales, which, you know, every play-by-play guy listening to your podcast probably sets out to be on air only but i always tell young guys man you can't be a one-trick pony you got to be able to do more than just sports whether you have the versatility to do news weather editing producing whatever or maybe in a lot of cases most effectively it's you need the skills to sell and fortunately for me sales is what got my foot in the door with the flagship station what helped me to not have to move far away from home for that first job in a smaller market it was sales that got my foot in the door and so from there, I had a 10-year run on that station, starting a show called Rock Chalk Sports Talk, which if you know about the Rock Chalk Jayhawk chant, that makes sense. If you don't, you probably think, what the heck kind of name is that? Uh, but through that, cultivated a lot of amazing relationships with former KU players and coaches that, again, helped me network to put myself in position to where I'm at now. But it all started with having a diversified portfolio or skill set, I guess, uh, enough to be able to do more than just do sports casting. That's what got me the first job and, and ultimately set me on this path. It's really interesting that you bring that up because this is September 13th is the day that we are recording this. On September 12th, I just released an article about taking the path of doing sports casting and sales as a combo on my blog. And I'm going to just ask you some questions about that. What was the biggest adjustment learning how to sell you you hadn't done it you always go into it with no experience there's definitely no safety net you either make money for the station or you don't what was 
the most difficult part of that combo? You know, I, I think the most difficult part was just the cold calling of beating the streets, walking in, and most of the time folks don't want solicitation, <laughs> and, and trying to hold their interest. In the same way that a play-by-play guy or a sports talk guy would try to hold a listener's interest who's flipping through the dials, you know, being able to, to come in when, in many cases, as a salesperson, you're not necessarily welcomed if they haven't met you before, and say, hey, here's how I can help your business grow. To me, once you got in past that, that front, uh, upfront introduction, then it was, it was pretty simple after that because I think any sports talk guy that's worth his salt in terms of being convincing and in terms of you know, having that uh, oratory delivery where you're trying to make a point and win your point and you know, go out there and, and deliver your stance on something, your hot take, if you will, you've got to be able to sell it with passion and conviction and not only act like you know what you're talking about, but, but have a passion for it. And so for me in selling sports radio, I was instantly more successful than a lot of the people in my office that were way more seasoned at selling FM music and that kind of thing because sports was my passion. And I came in and I sold it with a lot of enthusiasm and, and they could hear from the guy that was going to be on air delivering their message, which I think held a lot of credibility in the minds of the potential advertiser because they could hear it straight from the horse's mouth on the guy that was going to be talking about their business on air. So in Lawrence, Kansas, in 2002, when I was doing radio sales as a 21-year-old kid, I was able to sell all these March Madness packages because, well, we love basketball here. Folks want to be a part of that excitement. And I came in as a very excited and passionate, enthusiastic guy on why I want to sell a package like this to your business and why we're going to have all these sets of ears tuning in. And that made it easy. It was just getting that initial sit-down or getting them to listen long enough past the initial solicitation, go away, what are you doing here, type thing that, uh, that made it somewhat of a hurdle. But I, I think sales for anybody, uh, no matter what your emphasis or what you're selling, at the end of the day, it's all about being excited about your product and being able to find a fit for the person you're selling it to. You obviously don't force a fit on somebody that isn't a fit, but if you've got a business that you think could truly benefit and grow by your listenership and you're really pumped up about the product you have to give them, I think that gets them fired up about wanting to invest in it. And that helped me early in my sales days for sure. So now going to your first very big break, your Texas Tech getting the Learfield job, calling basketball and baseball for the Red Raiders. How did that happen? What were your breaks moving up through that part of the, um, your career? Well, I think with anybody that's gone to several places and trying to climb the ladder, they would tell you that networking is so important. And that, that involves the highest levels of networking with the high ups like Tom Bowman at Learfield and going after previous jobs. They put me on his radar, and I did a lot of creative little things, little gestures here and there to try and stand out. And so I was certainly somebody that had top-of-mind awareness with him, even though he hadn't hired me yet. But the biggest break just came in the form of being a buddy to another guy in the league and, and having that rapport. You never know when a contact or a new friendship or just somebody that you may have met in passing could impact your life in the future. And Mark Finkner, who was the previous play-by-play guy for basketball, and before that had been the previous play-by-play guy for baseball, he uh, had become a good friend of mine, not just through a shared interest in sports, but a shared Christian faith. And we had 
always talked and hung out when the Red Raiders were in Lawrence or when the Jayhawks were down in Lubbock, and you know, never thought that that relationship would turn into anything more so than just a friendship until one day he came to town in February of 2012, and we went out to dinner like we would often do, and he told me, hey, there's something I want to tell you about. Nobody else knows this besides my wife, but in the next week I'm going to resign my post as the voice of the Red Raiders, and I think you'd be the perfect guy to go after it. What a huge blessing. What, what a godsend to get the heads up on this before anybody else found out about it. And again, not coincidentally, guess where the KU women's basketball team was headed in 48 hours? Lubbock, Texas. So I had a chance to go down there and not start politicking or networking or anything like that because Mark hadn't resigned yet. But what I did was I took a bunch of pictures of myself in Red Raider gear around campus that I would put into a portfolio to have on the desk of all the decision makers the same day that he resigned about five days later. And I had a chance to put together a demo tape of me calling highlights of Texas Tech men's basketball players, stuff that I just created out of thin air, but I wanted to have them get a true listen to what it would sound like. Had all that ready the same day he resigned. And that's a huge credit, just a tremendous blessing and, and knowing the right guy that put me ahead of the game. You know, I, I, if this was a race, I had a 30-minute head start, and I was already crossing the finish line before most even heard about the gun going off. And so I, I point to that as just a tremendous blessing. But an example of the younger guys that are trying to get that first break, that you never know who you come into contact with and how they might be able to impact your life at a later date. It's huge. So, you know, we should be nice to people and we should invest in relationships and friendships regardless because that's who I feel we're called to be as human beings. But many times, when you least expect it, those can come out to, uh, to pay a, a huge dividend in your life and be just the break you needed. And that set me on the path, obviously, for my first major conference D1 job on the men's side of things. And ultimately, it put me in position to come back home to my ultimate dream job. So I owe Mark a, a debt of gratitude for the rest of my days, and he'll be a lifelong friend. And, uh, you know, again, it, it all goes back to just striking up a friendship over sports and, in our case, faith, and look where it took us both. So now the stuff that people want to hear about. I wanted to talk to you about the process of getting the Kansas job. So what what exact I'm trying to remember because I saw it. What timeline it was last fall, I believe that it was officially released as being open, correct? Correct. You mentioned you had an in before the job was even opened on your last time. I know you have a lot of connections in Lawrence and with the KU program as an alum and having worked uh, in that capacity at a different degree before. Did you have any heads up going into the process on this position? Not on the timing. I think we all wondered how long would Bob go because here's a Hall of Fame broadcaster as good as any, especially with college basketball. I've always said he climbs the ladder better than anybody in terms of vocal inflection on a highlight. And, you know, there are plenty of Jayhawk fans, probably the majority, 100% of Jayhawk fans would love to see him just keep calling it for the next 10, 15 years. But we knew that it had been a Hall of Fame career of 32 years and eventually he would want to hang him up. He has grandkids now and, and a lovely wife and, and so Everybody kind of wondered, but I didn't have a specific heads up on when the timing would be. I knew when I left for Texas Tech back in 2012 that it would be at least two or three years before it would even be discussed. And I, I realistically thought it would probably be five-plus years 
before the opening would, would come about. But fortunately, four years down there proved to be enough time, enough of a substantial amount at another major conference school to have me in the running. But I did not have any advance warning as to, to how long it would be. So certainly when that opened up, you knew, I'm assuming immediately, that you were going to put your hat in the ring. Did you immediately think that you had a realistic chance at it? You were young for the position. You're young in the industry still to a degree. To advance that high is obviously impressive. Did you believe in your heart that you were ready for that jump? I did, Logan. I mean, the only reason I left in the first place was to put myself in position to come home and had been filling in for eight years with him and, and felt like that old mantra, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. I didn't know that they would hire the understudy. I just didn't think they would. A job that big, that influential at a program as tradition-rich as KU Hoops and obviously KU Football, uh, a program that recently won an Orange Bowl within the last decade and has a lot of tradition that folks don't even realize. I knew that it would be a national search and that they would obviously want to hire a guy who was major conference experienced and talented already. And, and so I felt like I had to leave in order to come home. And so having left and having got a job on, on that Big 12 caliber level and worked it for the last four years, felt like I'd done enough to be in consideration, but you never truly know. And, and I knew from previous bosses I'd had on the Jayhawk network that I was in a strong position to begin with. And so to call it like it is and be honest with you, every move I made, from the moment I left Lubbock to the day I came back to Lawrence was targeted and designed at hopefully having the best possible chance to come home. When you leave, you have a pretty easy opportunity to fall out of the stream of consciousness or the top of mind awareness of the fan base. And that's why when the job was open a couple of years before I left for Tech, I was offered the job at the College of Charleston. And for a couple of reasons, I I turned it down, but the biggest of which was I was going to be off the radar for anybody in Big 12 country or KU country. And we talked about the reach of Jayhawk Nation earlier, but they're probably not tuning in out in Charleston, South Carolina, the Cougars games. And so this was the perfect fit to stay within the conference, to stay within the region, to go to a school that would bring me back to Kansas naturally every year, multiple times to where I could still be in front of them. But then also more than that, Logan, I was on the air in Lawrence every day, all 365, four years, the time I left, the time I came back. And it came up with, with these Big 12 reports, and we had some KU Look at the Legends series. And it was all stuff that, that I had the approval of Texas Tech to keep doing in that town because it helped me supplement my income a little bit. But the, the main objective was to stay relevant and to stay on the tips of the tongues and the forefront of the minds of Kansas fans back home. And so even though I was gone, there's probably a small percentage of folks in Lawrence that thought I never left because they were hearing me every day. So to answer your question, did I think I had a chance when it came open? I sure as heck hoped I did because I'd done so much to stay on their minds and try and stay in front of them. But having said that, you never felt overly confident or expectant at all because it's such a coveted position. There's so many that uh, have called many more games than I have and and might be significantly more talented than I am. But but I knew the job was about a lot more than just calling the best game. You know, it's about being an ambassador for an institution that, uh, that wants a guy to go across the state and, and, and drum up excitement out in Goodland, Kansas, and go across Jayhawk Nation to the metropolitan areas of Denver and Chicago and Dallas and all places in between, getting folks fired up, not just about Coach Self's program, which you can flip a switch and get folks on board for that, 
but believing in the resurgence of KU football. And they needed a guy with that type of passion, energy, and, and somebody who had a heart for the community too. And so um, knowing that I felt like I was, I was built in, in the necessary ways with those types of attributes to fill that role and knowing that I'd done everything I could possibly do to make that resume stand out as best it could, sure, I felt like I had a good chance. But believe me, there were plenty of sleepless nights over the eight months that the process took. And I think it's been written, and it's certainly true, that I, I went from sleeping about six and a half, seven hours a night to closer to four most nights because I was, I was worrying up a storm and thinking and overthinking every single angle and, and hoping that the good Lord would bring me home, but not certain that it was going to work out until I finally got that call on June the 21st. So at what point did you realize you were being seriously considered? Well, I knew I'd been considered before I left. Um, I I knew that it was going to be one of those things where there would be immense competition, but that, you know, the day I left for Lubbock, I was doing the best thing I could do to stay in that pack of folks that were being considered. Let me rephrase that a little bit. Let me rephrase that a little bit. Once the job came open, when did you know that you were being that you were one of the favorites, maybe, for the job? Because through the grapevine, I had heard the name that you were one of the favorites probably early summer. I'm sure you knew before that. Does that make well, any sense? If you mean by early summer, you mean June of 2016. Yeah, I, I knew before that, um, but it was a pretty quiet process, and, and they kept their cards close to the vest, and, and they did that for a multitude of reasons. And a lot of it was they had to sift through, you know, several hundred candidates and, and whittle it down to, to people that met the criteria. And I know it was important for folks in Kansas to have a Jayhawk in that chair, somebody that not only got a degree from here but, but knew about the traditions and what made this place special and, and saw this as the ultimate destination job. And so, um, you know, that fortunately for me, whittled out a lot of folks that probably had twice the resume I had or, you know, were 20 years more vested than I was. But, um, you know, the dialogue eventually heated up as we got into hoop season and, uh, you know, we're past the, the start of the next calendar year there in 2016. It was January or February when things really started to heat up. But that means there were two or three months without a whole lot of contact. And that's when you have those sleepless nights and you start to worry and everything. But uh, try to not overwhelm anybody with anything, but just keep my head down and do the best job I could do. And I knew every night that KU basketball wasn't on TV, but folks in Kansas were watching Big 12 games that were. It certainly helped that every time there was a camera pan toward the sideline, there I was sitting next to Tubby Smith, and that helped me stay on the forefront of their minds. And, and I think it's important to young guys trying to get jobs that, when the call doesn't necessarily come in as quick as you want it to, stay patient, stay the course, don't overwhelm them. <laughs> Whether you're pursuing a job, try to find that next wife or whatever, nobody likes somebody that's over-anxious and, and over-eager and, and knocks on the door too much. And So I tried to stay patient as hard as it was. I had plenty of friends that tried to keep my mind calm and distracted as I waited on the phone call. But eventually it came, and and once it did, and I kind of had a clear idea of how the process was going to unfold and where I stood within the pecking order, you know, then you could really get down to work and, and constructing the answers you were going to have, the questions asked in an interview, and get down to talking about your vision for the position, which uh, I already had conceived long before that, but, but it started to become tangible and real when I knew I was on the list of finalists and that there would be an interview and that sort of thing. So what was your reaction when you finally got it? 
Oh, it was incredible. Uh, I was in Omaha, Nebraska. That's where I'm from, by the way. I read this. That's why I asked that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was down in the uh, old market area, and uh, we were getting set to call the game with the number one team in the country, Florida. And I'd interviewed for the position on Tuesday of the previous week. Uh, I have a charity basketball game here in Lawrence every year. I did that on Thursday, and then I head straight up to I-29 to Omaha, Nebraska, and had been with Texas Tech for the previous three days. And my focus was 99% on Red Raider baseball and the College World Series, but obviously in the back of my mind I'm wondering, okay, I think the interview went well, but when am I going to hear, and what will their timetable look like and all that. And uh, So, you know, there was, there was anxiety there, and I was out for a run, trying to burn off some nervous energy down there in the old market area. And, and those that wear Fitbits know that when you get a phone call and it's linked up to your phone, your, your wrist starts to buzz. And sure enough, my wrist was buzzing, and I look down at my wrist and I see the name Dr. Shane Zanger, our athletic director. And here I am huffing and puffing out of breath and super sweaty, and, and I pull over on, on the corner of 13th and Howard, and I pull my phone out of my pocket and, and answer the phone all breathy. And, and Dr. Zanger, how are you, you know, and, and he delivers the greatest news of my life. And it was a short phone call. It was maybe a two-minute conversation. But uh, at the end of that, uh, as a person of faith, fell to my knees right there on the street corner of 13th and Howard and just lifted up uh, the greatest amount of gratitude in my entire life. And I know I got some funny looks from people saying, who's this pasty dude, this scrawny guy on the corner here with his hands in the air? Did he have you know something funky in his coffee or what? But, uh, but no, it was it was the biggest moment of my life professionally and it's linked directly to the greatest satisfaction of my life personally because this dream job got me back home with my family who I love dearly my best friends back here and so it was an overwhelming rush of emotions and and in that moment like I said I was knocked off my feet with gratitude so uh, I'll always remember that intersection for the rest of my days and every time I go back up there which hopefully I'll have reason to um, you know, I'll probably go back there and, and say a similar prayer because that was the intersection of the phone call that forever changed my life for the better. So what is your relationship like with Bob Davis? Because obviously anytime you have to replace a legend, it's not always the easiest thing to do. What is your relationship and how has the reaction been from fans who are, as you mentioned, are used to Bob Davis for the last 30 plus years? Well, I have the utmost respect for Bob. As I said, I, I think he's as good as they get, and it was a huge leg up for me to grow up and, and tune in to KMAJ and Topeka and listen to him on the call. 580 was the flagship that at its peak for a while, and got to listen to him on that station too. And man, when you're listening to one of the guys who, who sets the bar as high as any, obviously that's a great way to learn the craft. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him, and, and uh, he's been an encouragement to me throughout. You know, my pursuit of broadcasting, and um, while I don't get to talk to him as much as I do a Max Falkenstein or a Tom Hedrick or a Kevin Harlan, I think the world of him, and, and I'm so excited to try to keep the bar raised as high as he lifted it over the last two plus decades. You know, the reception's been great. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of folks that, that wish that I had calls similar to Bob, but you got to be your own guy, and you have to carve out your own niche while still looking at what made your predecessor so successful. And so I've, I've tried to do things in a similar fashion to him in terms of, you know, everything he invested in the position in terms of his preparation and, and how he went about getting set for a broadcast while also taking things from other mentors and heroes of mine, like 
Kevin and, and Tom and Max and guys like that. And Mitch Holtis, the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, Ryan LaFever, Kansas City Royals announcer. You try to take a little bit from all these guys, not specific terms or catchphrases or anything, but just their approach, their delivery, uh, what they do to endear themselves to the fan base and, and how they go about you know, making their network better with little additions here and there to the, to the way a broadcast is assembled. And so I try to do all those things. But uh, absolutely, it's, it's the challenge of a lifetime to follow a living legend like that. And like I said, you don't try to reinvent the wheel when you do. You uh, just go out there and be the best version of yourself you can be while not changing a whole lot. Uh, but we have had a chance to add a few little things here and there stylistically to what we do in the game format. And I think folks have been really receptive and appreciative to some of those things. That has nothing to do with Bob. It's just me coming in with some ideas, um, you know, to add a few things here or there that we had not previously done with our, you know, previous template of how we set up a broadcast at the Jayhawk IMG Sports Network. So that's been good, and, and I think we'll trot out even more of those additions as we get into hoop season here in the coming weeks. Give us a story about Kevin Harlan. You sound like you know him well. We all wish we were him and listen to this podcast, unless he's listening, which I somewhat doubt. Give us a story that you wouldn't know from just listening to his broadcasts or hearing about him through other traditional media. Well, to be honest, I've only known Kevin personally for a matter of months. We knew of each other, uh, especially me knowing of him, because who doesn't know Kevin Harlan? But we have the same mentor, and uh, he heard me a little bit, and he knew about, more than anything, the charitable side of, of my passion as a sportscaster, utilizing our platform to give back. And I think that's what made him so receptive to talking to me and offering some encouragement and ultimately some backing as I went for this KU position. He knew that, that I, would, I would cherish this thing and I would, I would treat it like the greatest opportunity in the world, but through it also do a lot of good. And I think if I could tell you anything in the short time that I've known him personally, it's that he is as approachable, he is as down-to-earth, and just genuine of a big-time guy you could ever meet. Because when you meet somebody who's truly a five-star talent at anything, whether it's a professional athlete, a Broadway performer, you know, a, a, a sous chef at the fanciest kitchen in all of New York City, when you meet somebody who's a five-star talent, there's going to be confidence and you would expect there to be some kind of ego to achieve that type of heights and excellence in their craft, whatever it is, Pulitzer Prize award winner, what have you. There's zero with him that I've encountered and, and just so humble and, and down to earth. And that doesn't just come through my interactions, but just through good fortune in the weeks that followed meeting him, I had a chance to, share a drink with Chris Weber and Charles Barkley staying at the same hotel in downtown Oklahoma City <laughs> as the NBA playoffs were going on in the Western Conference Finals between the Thunder and the Warriors. I was in town for the Big 12 baseball tournament. And I'm sitting around having a blue moon with these guys and talking about Kevin Harlan and all of them to a man talk about how incredibly warm and genuine he is and how for a guy that's accomplished so much and is truly the quintessential guy at his craft, you wouldn't know it by running into him because he's as nice as that old buddy from back home in your hometown that you call up a few times a year and you sit there and shoot the breeze for 60 minutes because you care about each other. That's the way he is. He's really that genuine. And so that would be my story. It's, it's nothing funny or anecdotal because I haven't known him for that long. But what I have seen in our interactions and those that he works with on a more regular basis, he is salt of the earth, man. He's as good as they get. Give us 
a couple of your favorite, maybe under-the-radar broadcasters that you like to listen to if you, for some reason, have a bye week or a night off, either at the high school or small college level? Wow, that's a great question. I haven't had a chance to listen to a ton of uh, small college or high school level guys when I've been in, in West Texas. Just so busy with, with my own assignments down there and not knowing the guys up there, down there, like I know up here. But uh, I, I think my best answers would be guys that are very much on the radar, not, not under. So I, I feel ill prepared to answer that. But I'll tell you this much when it comes to NFL football, play by play on the radio, guys that do it for a team. Mitch Holtis, uh, who's one of my mentors and a guy that, that just pours so much excitement into every little call. You know, some guys, they'll make a three-yard run by a running back sound exciting, but it'll also sound forced and contrived. He doesn't oversell it at all, but his, his enthusiasm and the way he paints the picture and the energy and the pop and the sizzle behind the call makes it sound very appropriately exciting, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? And, and I, I think he's as good at that as anybody. And, of course, his signature touchdown call, touchdown, Kansas City, is one that, that folks up here just absolutely cherish. And uh, he is he's a gem. He was former voice of the Wildcats for a while. He was doing K-State and Chiefs at the same time. And so he's not under the radar by any stretch since you asked about high school or small college. But uh, he's a guy that, that for folks that listen to this podcast from the East Coast to the West Coast and all places in between, find a way to hear his calls. Because to me, amongst the NFL announcers, man, I, if you're ranking them 1 through 32, I'd have a hard time putting anybody ahead of Mitch. What is your broadcast horror story where something went horribly wrong before or during a broadcast? Maybe you had an impossible broadcast location. Give us something there. Well, I think probably the biggest hurdle nowadays with more and more networks wanting the play-by-play guy to be his own engineer and producer, the biggest horror story comes in the form of, okay, you set everything up, you got to the arena three, four, five hours beforehand, but right before you're supposed to, to take the air, something happens and you get knocked off the air or something with the equipment breaks and your focus has to shift from calling the game and being able to just focus on what you want to say to sound articulate and engaging and exciting, suddenly multitasking and you're putting out a, a fire here from a technical standpoint while also trying to sound like you're focused on the game. And, and I don't have any, any awesome war stories that, that had funny anecdotal endings or anything like that, but I've had numerous times where the proverbial you-know-what hit the fan technically, and I had to challenge myself to stay focused cool, calm, and collected and not get too worked up because really my head needs to be in my game and, and how I'm going to set up my color analyst to make his first big point. And instead, I'm, I'm plugging in spids and, and ISDN numbers and trying to get this shit back on the, the right track, you know. So um, no crazy huge horror stories, but uh, definitely plenty of moments that could have ended in a horror story if it were it not for trying to stay calm and, and collected when stuff didn't go the way you wanted it to from a technical standpoint. I want to go back to the Kansas stuff since we have a little bit more time. Moving from Learfield to IMG, they're kind of competitors, kind of not. Was there any obstacles moving from one of the big broadcast rights holders to the other? Not really. I've always described them as Coke and Pepsi. I mean, 
They might taste a little bit different, but ultimately it's the same thing, which is two well-run, fantastic organizations with terrific leadership at the top of them, whether it's Bowman or Ferris. You're talking about two guys that know their craft so well and, and also just genuinely really good guys to work for that care about each individual school, care about getting to know each individual broadcaster and how can we make this property better. How can we make it better for our sales execs to sell it how can we make it better for our consumers, our listeners, to enjoy the game day broadcast? And, and both of them are the types that want to bring you in to Jefferson City or Winston-Salem and let you see you know, the, the full behind-the-scenes setup and, and have you establish that rapport and relationships with whether it's your network manager with IMG or you know, the specific board op that's working your, your games from a Learfield standpoint. Uh, you know, they're just all so accommodating, so approachable, and I appreciated that. And, and honestly, while other little stylistic things might be different from one network to the other, ultimately, they're two well-oiled machines, and uh, I've been blessed to work for them both. And worked for IMG before I worked for Learfield, and now I'm back with IMG again, and I've had nothing but great experiences with them both. And, um, you know, no matter who ultimately owns the rights, by the time I, I call my last game, I've been blessed with nothing but great organizations and great people to work for and with. What are some of the differences behind the scenes between the two? Oh, I, I think it's just a matter of preference on how they like to run things. I know that the Learfield, they prefer that pregame interviews be played on site by the talent on site because it's one less thing uh, to, to have to have taken care of back on, on the home front because they want to keep those guys focused on the, the VU meter and all that, whereas I think – in Winston-Salem, they prefer to have the interviews in the can. That way, you know, if there's any type of technical glitch on site or whatever, they've already got it saved at the computer back there, and they can handle it on site. Which is better? I don't know. I think they both have their pros and their cons. Um, per diem is a couple bucks different. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, it's about the same. And uh, I think they go about things a similar way. Now, we have a network manager um, that I deal with a little bit more frequently on a day-to-day and, and week-to-week basis with IMG compared to the interactions uh, with Learfield. But, but folks like Keith Sampson at Learfield that, that I did deal with uh, fairly regularly on the Red Raider Daily Updates, man, they're terrific to work with. So I think from a, from a delegation and a leadership standpoint, the structure might be slightly different, at least in terms of how I was, was dealt with. But in both cases, highly effective, uh, great communication, and obviously they churn out a great product, uh, each of those, those fine institutions, fine businesses. Take us through your prep process for a basketball game. We've talked a lot about football prep in the last couple podcasts. Uh, talk about your basketball prep routine. Well, with hoops in the league, especially a league that only has nine other teams to know, I watch a ridiculous amount of basketball, and so I feel like by the time Big 12 rolls around, I already know not just the 6th and 7th men, but I know the 12th and 13th men on, on every Big 12 team, the 8th man on every Big 12 bench. You know the rotation, you know the tendencies, all that. Part of that comes from being a hoops junkie to begin with, which is a good fit for anybody that's going to call games at KU. But part of that comes from the fact that our conference is small enough that you can watch most every game. That's not to say that you need to do that as a play-by-play guy. Um, you know, you'll get set for a conference opponent just like you would a non-con opponent in, in putting together your spotting boards and, and putting in all the necessary stats, but then adding in the human interest story nuggets that really make the broadcast come to life and add so much color and, 
an interest to it. You do that the same way. The difference is for me in this league and getting to watch as much as we get a chance to watch, by the time game rolls around, I'm not memorizing numbers like you would for a football broadcast. I know body types and faces and player tendencies and all that because I've seen them so much. So, so the preparation is a lot easier, and it's just a matter of plugging in names and stats and facts and figures, and away we go from there. Uh, now, something that, that we did at Learfield that, that we do at IMG now, too, is assembling that game scene, set, scene setter with the highlights of the previous call and a dramatic, uh, well-written script that really adds to the drama of game day and gets you juiced and primed ready to go. Yeah, I'll be pouring as much into that uh, you know, the, the week of a game or the day before a game as about anything else because the hay's kind of in the barn from a, a knowing the roster and knowing the stats, facts, and figures by the time you're even 72 hours out from a basketball broadcast. So I, I think um, a lot of it just comes in the form of, of being a big fan of, of watching college hoops and being well-read. But I like to have everything printed off and, and everything filled in at least 36 hours out because from there, you know, you're getting your mind focused on your pregame interview with the coach. and You're adding in any additional final nuggets with 95% of it already knocked out. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you and reach out to you after listening to this podcast, how would they do that? Man, I hope they do. I hope I can be a help to any young guy that might be listening. I referenced Ryan LaFevre earlier who does Royals TV and radio. He was so awesome to me, Logan, when I was a younger guy. He had me out to his house when I was just this scrawny 19-year-old pimply-faced kid that he didn't know from Adam. But he could tell I was ambitious, and so he invited me into his home. We listened to tapes for two hours. He gave me great instruction and encouragement. And at the end of it, a very appreciative young version of me said, well, wow, I hope someday I can pay you back. And, and uh, he said, you know what? Promise me you'll just pay it forward to the next guy. So if there is somebody listening to this that, that wants some, some inspiration, encouragement, even a little critique here or there, would love to give it. Uh, feel free to email me. My email address is real simple. It's my first initial, my last name, B Haney, B H A N N I, at K U dot E D U. Would love to talk to you, and we can swap stories. And uh, always want to help the next guy because, as you can tell from listening to the first part of this, I've been blessed and helped tremendously uh, to get to where I'm at, and I'm so happy to be here. Brian, I know you got other calls that you got to take. You're a busy guy. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast here today. Special treat, Logan. I'm, I'm privileged and uh, flattered that you wanted to talk to us. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll have a lot more victorious calls with KU football and hopefully uh, a big, big spring with KU men's hoops as the coach self tries to get his second national title. All right. Well, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. You can follow it on the link at the top right of SayTheDamnScore.com. And, of course, follow me on Twitter, Radio underscore Logan. Or you can follow on Facebook.com slash SayTheDamnScore. So thanks for tuning in. I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, remember to say the damn score.